In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, for our fun Wednesday get-together. Tonight, my guest is what I would call kind of like a triple combo. Of, he is a practicing clinical psychologist. He is an ordained rabbi. And he is a sex therapist. So the working title of this show is going to combine two of his areas of expertise. So the one part is, do Jews have better sex? Okay, that's the start. And then I also want to ask Dr. Ron Levine what he would have and guide parents and other people talking to their kids about sexuality, because that's another area of his expertise. And Ron, I am assuming that you are here with me? With you, Lou, and it's an absolute joy and pleasure to be uh, a guest on your show. Thank you so much. So as I was drafting some of these questions, mm-hmm. one of the first ones I wanted to ask you, what and why do and have people made that comment that Jews have better sex? Well, What's you know, in the it, culture? Sure. It, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a sociological statement, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I seriously don't know that as a generic or as a general statement that Jews do have better sex. Um, I mean, as you well know, I mean, who knows? Seriously, what goes on between two people in, um, in, the, in the bedroom? However, having said that, I can say unequivocally, from the point of view of Jewish tradition, that is the classical tradition, the Jewish classical texts, mainly uh, beginning with the Torah, what is called by the non-Jewish world the five books of Moses or the Pentateuch. Uh, to me, the Torah is very clear in the first three chapters, uh, about what a positive view of sex looks like from a, uh, a Jewish classical point of view. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I enjoy teaching about. So uh, that gives you uh, the beginning, at least, of a classical uh, context in terms right. of, uh, of a Jewish approach to sexuality. Now, what is it that is 
because we typically have the like a faith-based attitude of that sex is only for procreation. Right. What so was the, you had mentioned to me before that there mm-hmm. are things within those books that are not in the others. Well, that that's true. So as it says in the Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. And the beginning here, of course, is the book of Genesis, where um, human beings, along with the world, were created in the first place. So to read that statement, which will then set the frame for what we're talking about, and it'll be very clear in a moment why it is such a positive frame. And it says simply, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him meaning humankind, male and female, he created them. Now, that's the beginning statement of creation. But it's a very, very important statement as it comes to sexuality because (coughs) the implications are profound. Number one, male and female are created as co-equals. They are created together at the same moment on the sixth day of creation. Equality, mutuality, and reciprocity are the order of the day. And you might protest, wait a minute, Ron. What about the story of woman is created from Adam's rib, etc.? That story occurs in chapter 2. There are two creation stories in the book of Genesis. What I gave you was the first story, the beginning story. Now, the story in Chapter 2, it gets a little complicated, and I won't bore your audience with those details. But in that second story, many scholars now believe, and I am one of them, that uh, woman was not created from Adam's rib. The word is mistranslated, probably because of Greek influence. We could go into some of the possible reasons. But in actuality... Woman was created from man's side, S-I-D-E. There was a creature created earlier on in the second story in chapter 2. That creature was at the same time holy male and holy female as it was in chapter 1. And then at the end of Genesis 2, that creature is divided into two halves. One half became man, the other half became woman. And it's the first time in the biblical text that the term man, Hebrew term ish, and the term woman, isha, are used. So we need to realize that in the first chapter, male and female are co-equals. Mutuality, reciprocity are the order of the day. And it's very important because it sets the stage for the kind of sexual interaction that we would, I believe, hope for. Now we come to part two, because Mm -hmm. the very next statement after they are created in this way is, and it's one people are familiar with, first commandment in the entire Torah. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fertile and increase. In simple terms, God blessed them and said, have sex. (laughs) Which is how human beings reproduce. In other words, in the Torah and in Jewish tradition, our human sexuality is a blessed gift 
from God. It is a blessing. And you can't get, as far as I'm concerned, and it's only my personal, you know, my profession, if you will, point of view, but it's only mine. I don't mean to speak for anybody else. You can't get any more positive than that. Our sexuality from the Torah, the classical first Jewish text, is that our sexuality, our sexual desire, is a blessed gift from God. So that's okay. a pretty positive frame with which Not to start. No question about that one. Very good. So now yeah. one might ask, so why was this commandment necessary? I tell the story when I'm teaching this to, uh, to my classes. So how many parents, when your children, you know, entered puberty, sat them down and said, okay, now that your hormones are turning on and you're, you know, becoming an adolescent on your way to adulthood, I want you to be sure to have sex. I, I'm afraid you'll forget. I'm afraid you won't know. So I'm telling you, have sex. Uh, everyone want to raise their hands? Right. <laughs> no, we so know that doesn't happen. Right. So the question is, why was this commandment necessary if human beings know how to have sex? I mean, pretty clear, Adam and Eve would have figured it out on their own. And, of course, you know the answer because it's the greatest um, issue in our field today. Because human Desire. beings, unlike animals, only have sex when they, the big word, desire to have sex. Human beings choose when to have sex, who to have sex, um, the conditions under which they're going to have sex. And if the conditions in many ways that's informed aren't right, then a human being will say, eh, I think I will pass. So the arena, that's true. Of, yeah, the arena of sexual desire means that for human sexuality, as Gina Ogden says in, in, in many places, she's a wonderful writer uh, who writes on spiritual sexuality and women's issues, says, and she's not the only one, the biggest sex organ in our brain, and brain, that's a slip, in our body is the brain. This is true, and the human female, the human female is the only one that is in a constant state of estrus, meaning there a you constant, go. you know. So right. now we have two minutes until our first break. Okay, go ahead. Yes. So let me ask you. Yes. You told me that in the Torah it states that there are three things that humans are to get from being sexual. Correct. And here they are, and we only hear about the first, but there are two more. You've mm -hmm. already heard the first. The first purpose or, or ideal, however we want to phrase it, of human beings having sex is procreation. That's number one. Be fruitful and multiply. Sadly, it's the only one we hear about in the Torah, what Christians call the Old Testament. There are two more. Genesis 2.24 says very clearly, uh, a man and a woman, the men and women, shall leave their parents. They shall cling to their partner. And the original text is patriarchal, so it says cling to um, his wife. And they shall become as one flesh. Hebrew text makes it very clear that they're talking there about intercourse. And the word mm -hmm. that they use implies two facets of intercourse, which I love teaching. Physical. The Hebrew word for devik, for glue, is devik. So davak means to attach or cling to physically. 
but it also means to cling spiritually. That word davak, which is the word to cling to, is the, also the word in the Torah for clinging to God. In another part of the Torah in Deuteronomy, how do you cling to God? Not physically, God has no physical form. You cling to God spiritually. So in chapter 2, verse 24, the second reason to have sex is uh, elucidated, and that is for connection. Mm-hmm. Connection. Ideally, yeah, and we're the going, Bible with a, we're, yeah, with a, yeah, with a lifelong we partner. We are going to go to our first break. Text. Yeah, first break. My, my the third one we'll get to, because it's really fun. Let's get to the third one after the break. Yes, we're going to do the third one after this break. Thank yeah, because it's too much fun to do quickly. Exactly. <laughs> This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDoswaltDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Doswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Druggynet.com. Was sad because right. he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the ones never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hand. Look who's on. Yeah. It's the code of man Keith. It's That Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, That Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWineWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, teach number one, everybody don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at 8 7 central on toginet.com welcome back to sex talk imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question be it function sensation or something you've heard this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Ron Levine, who is a practicing clinical psychologist here in Van Nuys, California, and an ordained rabbi and a sex therapist. And just before the break, we were speaking of the three 
commandments that the Torah, or the three things the Torah tells you that you are to get from being sexual and why you are commanded to have it. And mm-hmm. the first is procreation. The yes. second is connection. And yes. Ron, the third is pleasure. There what is a no thing in that, in this case, the pleasure and sexual satisfaction of the woman, of the wife, completely, explicitly commanded. Nothing there about having children, nothing there about anything else other than if a wife desires to have sexual satisfaction, her husband is obligated to provide it to her. And, you know, when, when we were setting up, when we were speaking, you know, arranging for today's um interview i had asked you so is it true that if a man does not have sex with if a if a jewish man does not have sex with his wife for 90 days she can divorce him well i um, did I, go I, to my my jewish book of why and i did find something out well <laughs> if, if, if you read it there that's correct because i i don't pretend to be um, an expert and remember all the intricacies of actually jewish law however in that same uh chapter where I read that a woman's conjugal rights shall not be denied, Exodus mm-hmm. 21.10, for those who want to check it out. In the very next sentence, it said, if he fails her, she shall go free without payment. That's a whole technical thing, why payment? If he fails her in this regard, she shall go free. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about the divorce laws in the Torah. I'm not up on that. I fully, freely admit that, but it's very clear. If he doesn't fulfill this obligation, she can leave him. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what I found in um, the well, Jewish book of Why. Right, is that so, if he is not taking care of her sexually, she can get a uh, Jewish divorce. There you go. So the yeah. important thing here, I think, is to note for for our listeners that from a Jewish classical perspective, sex is a blessed gift from God. You can't get more positive in terms of its statement about it. And in the Torah itself, procreation, connection, and pleasure are the three facets of human sexuality together. And it's what I call a sex-positive presentation of human sexuality. Um, I do believe that is continued in the Garden of Eden story, which has been, I believe, very much misunderstood and mistranslated. Uh, and I call it a sex-positive image of sexuality that's presented in the Garden of Eden story. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, my, one of my things that I remember being told uh, mm-hmm. friends of mine who were Jewish is the importance of the ketubah. And right. the ketubah being the, uh, it's the, the, Jewish, the, uh, the Jewish marriage contract. Yeah, the Jewish marriage often, contract, correct. That is written out often, you know, in, is it written in Aramaic? Aramaic, yes. If we use a traditional form, it's in Aramaic, mm-hmm. which was the vernacular and, time when the ketubah was created. <clears throat> and so, and it is in the ketubah itself that it states that the man is to sexually take care of the wife. I mean, the assumption that the woman would take care of him was sort of like apparently a foregone conclusion. A foregone conclusion. And as you know, the original ketubah exactly was set up that way, so to protect the rights of the woman. Now, today... Um, there are many egalitarian forms of the ketubah, where the husband and the wife or the bride and groom decide uh, to use a form of it 
which actually makes the obligations go both ways, and they add some. So people are very creative today in creating what are called egalitarian uh, ketubot or egalitarian marital contracts. But you're right. Mm -hmm. In in the original, uh, the ketubah spelled out basically the rights of the woman so that she would be protected. Mm -hmm. Pretty radical in terms of the society in which it was created. Uh, Rather... Rather. Now, I have yeah. a couple of other questions I want to sure, sure. clear up. Because t- tonight, you know, for our listeners and for me, I get to be the student and ask these questions so to clear up some myths and some misconceptions I might have. Now, when um, in, I had a uh, friend of mine who was a producer, and he was talking of his brother having gotten married in Israel mm-hmm. to um, a very orthodox uh, young woman, yes. and they went into a room afterwards, after the ceremony. Now, right. what happens in that room? Are they having sex in that room, or are they having dinner? Well, <laughs> well first of all, and then they come be, back, and then they come back into the into the the um, synagogue. That's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain that. I mean, but, but there's a couple of principles here. One is one I've been teaching for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of answering the question, what actually happens in that room? Um, sex is a private act. I've always believed that. And the only two people who should ever know what happens in a sexual encounter, in my opinion, are the two people who are having the encounter. So mm-hmm. what the husband and wife actually will do in that room is between the husband and the wife. Now, that period, of, having said that, that period of time that they spend together right after the ceremony has a very special word. It's a very special word. The word is yihud, yihud, which basically means union, joining together. Now, your audience will be familiar with a very um, a common, uh, I mean, very well-known Jewish folk song, Hine matov umanayim, shevet achim gam yachad. How nice is it and sweet as it is for brothers, humankind, brothers and sisters, to dwell together. That's the yachad. So Yehud and Yachad, same Hebrew root. So on one level it means union to be together. But it's also one of the biblical Hebrew words for sexual intercourse. And the idea was that in that time together, that the couple would consummate uh, their marriage with sexual intercourse. It was assumed that it would be assumed, please, that it would be the first time for each of them. So Mm -hmm. Yehud, which means intercourse as well as joining, has a number of meanings in that context. They're in the room together. That time is called Yehud. Being together privately is called Yehud. And sexual intercourse, one of the words for it is Yehud, joining together. So a lot of fun. Now, thank you for that. the other question, I, and we both heard of this, I'm sure, uh-huh. where if someone does not have, and this is you know, going to be like kind of a segue into you know, some other questions later, if you do not have someone who tells you what is to expect and what to do, then, and if you have no exposure to any other information, I know of, and you, I, I think you told me of, you had one case where the couple didn't know what to do and mm-hmm. came to see someone because they weren't conceiving. They weren't, she wasn't getting pregnant. Right, right. Um, and the reason see, she wasn't mm-hmm. getting pregnant is mm-hmm. they didn't know 
he knew about getting an erection and penetration, right. Right. but then didn't know what to do. Because Michael uh, Perlman also told me he had a similar case. Yeah. Now, that can happen. I think in today's world that's rather rare, frankly, mm -hmm. um, with all that's out there. And, and, and now we have uh, in many, many forums uh, certain uh, sex education in various uh, you know, um, formats. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's rare, but of course it can happen. If anyone grows up in a home, uh, and actually in this case, isolated from, this was way before the Internet, way before the stuff was on television. So really, you, you really didn't have any exposure. Uh, to sexuality, except what you might have been told, then it's possible for something like that to occur. Today, I think it would be, uh, you know, unheard of because. Yeah, I mean, in this, I don't know when Michael had his case, but in essence, yeah. what it was is that they did not know that the man was supposed to be moving or the woman was supposed oh, to yeah, be moving. Oh, yeah, sure. No, I, this, when I had this case to me, this was easily 25 years ago. I mean, before mm -hmm. the internet, before, before anything in technology that we have today. Mm hmm. Now, other question. Yes. What By the way, this is, is the time. I should have it quickly. You might know this is the season in the Jewish calendar for questions. We have just finished the holiday of Passover. Right. One of the key features of Passover are the four questions. So Passover is the absolute season for questions. So question away. <laughs> love that. You know, and I have to say, I love being a student. I just love yeah, it. Now, for... Yeah. You, with your clients, yes. do you find that there is, you know, are the majority of your clients Jewish? No, they are not. I mean, I, 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 I don't think that way anymore. I don't, I don't even track it. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head you know, mm -hmm. how many of my clients are Jewish or Christian or Islamic, which I've had. Uh, I, I just couldn't tell you. But I do know uh, uh, organically that um, it's a very wide, diverse mix. Uh, both mm -hmm. in terms of, of religion, in terms of ethnicity, uh, in terms of non-religious, secular. Uh, in my practice, it really is quite a diverse practice across the board. Okay. Now, we're going to go to a break in probably okay. about 90 seconds. Okay. Now, one of the things I want to do when we come back mm -hmm. is discuss what the Song of Songs is about. Sure. Yes, ma'am. I've heard you, you speak of that, that um, how powerful it is, mm -hmm. how sensual, how erotic. Right. And that, I, and before, we have one minute before we go to a break. Yeah, Tell me what the word sin is not where. In, well, the in word the, sin, any version of it, and there are about seven or eight words for it in the Torah, the word sin does not appear anywhere in the Garden of Eden story. Garden of Eden Stories, chapter 2 and 3, the word sin does not appear. So from classical Jewish tradition, now this is a little sticky because some people consider that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, which I think is not accurate in terms of the text. But the word sin does not appear. Uh, it certainly doesn't appear in chapter 2. I'm trying to think of after they um, um, uh, hid from God whether or not the, the word sin was used. I Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I'll check it during the break. But it does okay, not exactly. appear we're, 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 going, we're going to the break now. Sure. So my guest is Dr. Ron Levine. We're talking about sin and sex mm -hmm. and the Bible and Torah. Please come right. back. Stay with us for the next segment. Right. 
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frowsy. Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And here we are. And here we are. And... Um, Dr. Ron Levine and I were talking before the break on that the word sin does not appear in the in books two and three of the Torah. Correct, right. Ron? The, the chapter two and three of Genesis. Chapter two and three. Story of the Garden of Eden. The word sin does not appear anywhere. Okay. Now, what was your comment on the interpretation of about Eve? Well, the the comment was simply uh, Harold Kirshner's note that. Um, the story is not an account of sin and death, but it's an account of Eve giving us all humanity with its pain and its richness. Eve gave us more than just existence. She gave us life. So Kushner, who's quite a scholar, has, I think, an accurate description of what happened in that story. It couldn't be more positive, and we as humans, her descendants, couldn't be more grateful and couldn't have benefited more. That's very different than the standard story that people are told about the Garden of Eden story. And that Eve is a seductress, and 
easily yeah, seduced. Yeah, tempers, seductress, the love, it's not, it's not, none of that happened. The Hebrew text makes it clear, Adam was with her every step of the way, uh, and uh, there's a particular Hebrew word for that, and that's in the text. It's very clear. They were. She took the lead, God bless her, but Adam was with her every step of the way. Okay. Now, let's go to... Song of the, Songs, you were going to say. You're, you're coming along with me? Yeah. Given that we have, that it is a um, commandment, now mm-hmm. there was a term that you used to describe that the man, oh, the man is obligated right. to take care of the woman. That, yes. And in the first segment we spoke of how desire and the, the fluctuating desire and the differences in desire is one of the reasons why there is the commandment to go forth and, and, and multiply mm-hmm. and have, have that connection and have that pleasure. So where is, what is, what is the Song of Songs that you, that you have told me about? Okay, so this is actually also fascinating, because if this story of sexuality occurs that we're talking about, in the first two chapters of Genesis, in the beginning of the Torah, mm-hmm. the Song of Songs appears in the last section of the Jewish Bible, called the Writings, with a capital W. And the Song of Song is simply put, one of the most erotic pieces of literature one could ever read. Can someone get, can someone look it up online right now? Oh sure, the Song okay. of Songs. Like music, and, uh, music. The, the edition I recommend is um, translated by Benjamin Siegel, S I E G E L. The Song of Songs, translated by Benjamin Siegel. You'll get a picture there that literally will will blow your socks off. And the, the Song of Songs is an erotic tale of two young people in love and the sensuality and the equality and the mutuality and the reciprocity are, are all through the Song of Songs. And the power of eroticism is, I mean, it, it, it's just marvelous to behold. Song of and Songs it, opens. Yes, go ahead. Jerry. And yes. it was being written for? was written, written for, the, for the, at that point, the Jewish public. I mean, it was written, it was made part of the canon. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people are astounded that those who uh, put books into the canon actually let it in. Um, Rabbi Akiva, who was a tremendously well-known and respected, still is, scholar in, in the first, in first century, I believe, uh, first century of the Common Era, said, you know, very simply, uh, a lot of things are holy, but the Song of Songs is tantamount to the Holy of Holies. Uh, Rabbi Akiva oh. was very clear that the, the uh, inclusion of the Song of Songs in the canon was purposeful and was necessary and absolutely presented this most beyond positive, beautifully sensuous, erotic depiction of the love that exists between two young people. It's now, a must you, read for anyone, yeah, that wants to read erotic literature, and the poetry is just unbelievable. Now, do you assign it in your classes? Well, I teach, sure. I mean, I, 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 when I teach, I teach it. I give a whole, no, any number of workshops on it. Uh, I recommend it whenever I can. Uh, it's something that we need to be educated on because it's magnificent. Now, both the Jewish and Christian traditions, for reasons which we won't uh, you know, distract our audience with, both interpreted the Song of Songs as an allegory of the love between, in one case, the Jewish version between the Jewish people and God, and in the Christian version between Christ, uh, the, the, you know, the Christians and, 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 and Christ. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they they interpreted that way to move away, of course, from the clear uh, sexuality and sensuality of the song. But recent modern translations do a beautiful job, and and it's pretty clear that this was not meant to be an allegory. Um, okay, <laughs> this was not meant to be. It, be, it begins with you know, you know, uh, kiss me with the kisses of your lips. I mean, you know, that's how it opens. That's the first line. Well, you know, that doesn't get any more sensuous than that. It's kind of like a, almost like a, these are the, uh, an idea of how to have a relationship or the things that can be stirred up in you. Oh, very much so. And, I mean, and very much a validation that it's there. Well, yeah, when you read it, I mean, the, the thing to me is, and I have a whole section when I teach it, is the beautiful mutuality and reciprocity, the way they talk to each other, how they describe each other how they are so tender with each other, how they are careful in the way they talk to each other. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. It, it's something to be read. I highly commend it to um, our, our audience. Well, then, for everyone, that's the Song of Songs, and the translation is by Benjamin Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L. It Correct. will be on my weekend reading list. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, no, you'll see. You'll, you'll be amazed. Ron, one of the, uh, your other areas... Of expertise is parents talking to their children about sexuality. Right. And truly, I mean, we know we know that they're going. People are going to learn. The question is from whom and how. Correct. And to Um, me, one of the most important things that parents can do is to to guide, shepherd, to be that role model and to be that information source for their children, rather than thinking that. Somebody else should do it. Because well, not only that, but in, in today's world, uh, you know, it's not a question of whether our children are going to learn about sexuality. It's all over the place. Mm. The question is, what frame are they going to put it in? You know, mm-hmm. a picture that is beautiful, if you put an ugly frame on it, everyone pays attention to the frame, and the picture feels very bad. Right. If you put a beautiful frame on a beautiful picture, then both the frame and the picture are wonderful. Nothing, I think, a few things are arguably more important in a human being's life than their sexuality and how they um, uh, feel about it, how they regard it, how they implement it between them and loving partners. So the idea that parents wouldn't teach that to their children, of course, doesn't make sense. We, we teach our children about everything else. We teach them about nutrition, for example. We teach mm-hmm. them they shouldn't smoke. We do a lot of things. We have all principles of character. So, of course, we should do it with respect to sexuality. And let's get rid of one myth right off the bat, because it is a total myth. There have been so many studies on this. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it can't be refuted, although people may have their own ideologies. And that is the myth. If you teach children about sex, they will do it. The common sense, by the way, and the reality is exactly the opposite. Why? Because one of the great attractions of sexuality is the taboo factor. Mm-hmm. And the parent knows the best way to get a child to do anything is tell them, don't do it. Now, you have one statement, um, and this is something that I saw with, with some information with Lori Buckley. What's the thing you do not say to your children? Oh, well, there's so many things, but you don't say to your children, uh, you know, sex is bad, sex is evil. Uh, you don't want to teach by silence. Um, you want to be, I, I call it KVS for parents. You want to mm-hmm. be knowledgeable, which now there's so many books you can read. I'll give you one in a moment. Knowledgeable, 
You want to have your own value frame. You as a parent have values with respect to sexuality. It sounds like, well, in our house, mommy and daddy feel that sex is, fill in the blank, sex is for adults or sex is for married people or sex is for committed or whatever your values are, it's essential that you frame sexuality in that so when they hear other things from the outside world, they can actually say with confidence, well, that's not the way my parents look about it. That's the mm-hmm. first thing. So that's mm-hmm. knowledge and values. And the third is skills. There are communication skills that you can teach your children. There's ways to talk to children just in terms of a communication format. So I say parents need to be knowledgeable, know what their values are, and learn the communication skills. I call it teachable moments so that they can know that their children can feel that in this most important arena, there's no question that's out of bounds. And by the way, when a child asks you about sex, uh, here's what I always said, because uh, some of the questions were pretty gnarly, as they, as they say in the Valley, Santa <laughs> Valley. Uh, I would first say something like, you know, that's a really good question. You know, let me think about that. Translation. I haven't got a clue what to say. I've got to get a moment to gather my thoughts and pull myself together. So, because we know that the majority of people... Get, we know this as, as sex educators right. and sex therapists. Majority of people get their information from their equally ill-informed friends and peers. Well, right. Well, that's, that used to be the worst of it, but now it's worse than that because we have, of course, the Internet, and we have some of the stuff going on in television. We have the images in our society, all of which are insidiously counterproductive to a, a healthy sex life, in, in my opinion. So parents oh. absolutely have to be the ones to counteract it very quickly. Uh, two very good books for parents by someone you know well. Her name is Deborah Hafner, H-A-F-F-N-E-R. And um, the first book, you'll, they'll love it, your audience, From Diapers to Dating. Mm-hmm. From Diapers to Dating, and that's for elementary and below, from 0 to 12, From Diapers to Dating. And her second book is you know, for talking to adolescents, and it's simply called After the Big Talk. Mm-hmm. So you have two books there that are just loaded with accurate information, number one. doesn't take very much, you know, to learn the accurate information about sexuality. not all that complicated. And number two, it's complicated to implement, but the concepts aren't complicated. Exactly. And second, now. wonderful, wonderful um, examples, lessons, exercises on how to talk to your children about this very sensitive topic. So I recommend both those books to your... We'll be back right after this break. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. 
Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on Toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressey. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on togedat.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. My guest this week is Dr. Ron Levine, a clinical psychologist in Van Nuys, California. He's also an ordained rabbi and a sex therapist. And before the break, we were speaking of books for um, parents to talk to their kids. Deborah Hafner, H-A-F-F-N-E-R, one, Diapers to Dating. The other is after the big talk. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that, you know, this is kind of a subject area, sexuality, that yeah. people think they are, you know, they're supposed to know everything about it before they, you know, talk about it. Right. That couldn't be further from the truth. This is about making and validating probably one of the most powerful and most important parts of who we are. As you say, you know, this is something that was a gift, a blessed gift from God. Right. That's what our sexuality is. That's true. And now, what, mm-hmm, what's interesting is, of course, in our generation, um, we were all either miseducated or not educated at all. So like how were we supposed to know both as when we were kids growing up and then going into puberty and then we get married? If we weren't educated, how were we supposed to educate our children? Well, well you, you didn't. You didn't have any role model to do it. And now there's so much that... Everyone is seeing, and I don't care if you're 5, 15, or 55. Right. You're seeing things that you've never seen before that you, you're like, what? What is this? And I think what people have to be aware of when they're looking at things online, for a lot of kids, and I had this conversation with Mark, um, uh, where am I drawing a blank? It'll come to me in a second. Yeah. And we were speaking of that for adults, we know when we're looking at at certain images and things. 
Yeah, Mark Schoen, thank you. Mark Hello. Schoen. Look one of my closest friends. What's the matter here? <laughs> that it's entertainment. But mm-hmm. if it's the only reference point you have, as you spoke of the insidious nature of it, we need to have something that creates, again, the, the format and the form for the information to get to them. Now, you spoke of, you have um, things that when you're teaching kids, it's only for, for children or kids to be there? Well, yeah, I, I, I tell kids, I mean, uh, uh, among other things, when it comes to intercourse, I say intercourse is for adults only because I believe that they will enjoy it more, they will experience it more deeply. It's for their benefit. How do I define an adult? I define an adult in two ways. Mm-hmm. One, out of your parents' home and self-sufficient. That is, you have differentiated from your parents and you're able pretty much to take care of yourself. Um, I Now, my friends and colleagues in the sexuality field would probably skew me on this one. We'll see. But I certainly would prefer, you know, 21 and above. Forget that. That ain't going to happen. So I would no. certainly go to age 18 for sure uh, as, a, as a sort of beginning rubric. And part two, when you have a solid enough sense of self that you have your own ideas, your own values, your own framework for understanding your sexuality so that you can determine, why am I doing this? I call it the questions that, that kids should ask. I have an acronym. I call it RES. It is the R is reflect before. Why am I going to do this? Who am I doing it with? What's the purpose? What's my expectation? Is the person I'm going to do this with on the same page that I'm on? All of that is reflecting before. Experience doing. That's Marty Seligman's, you know, be in the moment, the erotic. And the last is hard for a lot of people. The S is savor. If we do it in that way, when it's over, we have both the afterglow of the moment where we can just sort of cuddle and hold each other and sort of savor the moment. But when the sex is the way I'm setting it up, then I believe we can savor that moment for days, weeks, months, years to come. Because you've done the download. If you've done the download. So I, I, I... and yeah, I try to present to kids that what I'm after, and when I first said this, one of the kids, high school kids said to me, do, do our parents know you're telling us this? Because I said to them, my goal in this course, when I first began to teach this stuff, uh, I call it mindful sexuality for teenagers. Uh, I said, look, my goal, when you decide to have sex with someone, I want it to be the best sex you can ever imagine. And I meant And that. not pressured. Well, not pressured. Not anxious, not a performance, experience-oriented versus goal-oriented. I mean, I could go on and on and on, which I do when I teach, so that they will know the depth, the nuances, the intricacies that can happen to make sexual intercourse more than simply what I call a body-to-body encounter. I call it sex as knowing as opposed to sex as doing. And I have a whole... And that's a good way. Yeah, sex as knowing... You know, we, we know with, doing. Yeah, we know with kids there's three things they want to do when they're growing up. Right. They want to do three things that are typically, you know, sort of like the, the solely an adult enclave. One of them is drive, right. or independence. Two is alcohol and drugs that their parents are doing. Right. And three is sex. And the main reason, they want to know what it's like to experience these things. Well, see, and that's I, think, I think if we give more... and, and you, Ron, as I said, 5, 15, or 55, there's still places where people don't get the information. 
No, there's no question about it. But pick up on a point you just said. Uh, driver's education, I'll give you a funny story about that in a moment. But <laughs> if kids are curious about their bodies, so the first thing is when it's 0 to 12, mm-hmm. everyone calls that sex education for, you know, elementary school kids. I say, that's absurd. We're not talking about sex education. Before the age of puberty, kids aren't thinking about sex unless they've been sadly exposed to things they shouldn't be exposed to. I call it body education. You're simply answering questions that are very curious about how their bodies function. Hey, when you know, hormones kick in, right? Yeah? Yeah, Mark Schoen's book, but Belly Buttons or Navels. There you go. Then you go to puberty, hormones kick in. Ah, now you can talk about sex education and sexuality. Children want to find out what sex is all about. There's going to be one of two ways. Either their loving parents, hopefully their loving parents, will tell them, answer all their questions, go now to resources if you don't know the answer to the question. That's perfectly good to say to a child, you know, that's a great question. Frankly, I don't know the answer, so let's go find it out together, and you can do mm-hmm. that. So they can listen to you, and you can tell them, or you can keep it hidden, and then the only way they're going to find out about sex is to do it. Yeah. I mean, pretty much a no-brainer. So there's what? the choice. Either you right. tell them, which will not lead to their doing it. It's the opposite, because, you know, when something is less taboo, then particularly adolescents want to do it less. It's what's taboo. It's what you're not supposed to do that they rush to do. So, Tell me, okay, we've, we've, we've framed that. We've mm-hmm. framed the, mm-hmm. the Jewish sexuality and right. the, you know, the, the things from the Torah. Right. Tell me, in like our last two minutes here, mm-hmm. what have been some of your toughest cases to have to deal with? The toughest cases I have to deal with, and most sex therapists think know this, uh, and it's true, and uh, there was an article in, uh, in Scientific American Mind, I believe, um, mm-hmm. or maybe, let me take a look, I'm not sure, because it's not, I'm sorry, yeah, um, I think it was Scientific American Mind, but the point is that the article was by two guys, it's called Surfing for Sex, the largest sex study in history asks what do a billion web searchers reveal about desire? Um, mm. and there's a book they wrote. The book is entitled A Billion Wicked Thoughts, Analyzing the Results of a Billion Anonymous Web Searchers. These guys claim to have interviewed on the, on the Internet over 100 million people. Okay. Here's what they say about sexual desire. Nobody in our field has taken a shot at sexual desire, what it is, how we create it, what we do when it's not there, all those questions. And most of our colleagues thought we were insane to do it. But the same neural principles that apply to our higher cognitive functions in our prefrontal cortex apply to sexual behavior too. So my most difficult case, uh, and always is difficult, is when one or both partners have low or no sexual desire. And there can be a lot of factors for that. Um, We're not going to pathologize it. We're not going to make it, oh, you're supposed to have sexual desire. We are going to take it apart, and we are going to understand it. It's very, very important. A very good book on that topic by a woman, you'll love the title, I'd Rather Eat Chocolate is the title of the book. I don't remember her name at the moment because I'm doing this off the top of my head. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's magnificent. You can get it at Amazon in a second. I'd rather eat chocolate. And it's a story of a woman who was deep in love with her husband. He was highly sexual desiring. She had no sexual desire. She didn't understand why. She felt guilty. She felt chagrined. She had tried whatever she tried. None of it worked. And then she said to herself, I'm simply not going to let this happen. And she created a whole approach that she then implemented so that despite the lack of her sexual desire, her and her husband can have a robust and satisfying sex life. And her book is the story of that journey. Anyone struggling with it, buy the book. I'd rather eat chocolate. Well, you and I both know that within our field that the sexual desire and desire discrepancies are one of the number one things that brings couples That's it. in. And, but it's also when we look at it, and I did this when I, we have like two minutes left or probably almost like a minute left. Sure, go ahead, yeah, yeah. Um, when I did my presentation at UCLA for their year-long class that uh, Berta Davis brought me in, Dr. Mm-hmm. Berta Davis, and when we look at sexuality, we human beings are, are really hilarious. You know, yes, we look we at things from a male perspective, but yep. then we're now realizing, you know, we can't be putting the male model onto the female mind. It doesn't sure work not. that way. It doesn't work that now. We have probably forty-five seconds left. Yes, ma'am. For those of you, um, thank you again, Ron. This is Dr. Yes. Ron Levine. Has been my guest um, this week. And from the beginning, we spoke of the Torah and the things that are in it for, you know, the gift that God, that sex is, that it's to give you to procreate, to, for connection and for pleasure. Yes. The, the adjustment and things, that, the words that weren't there in mm-hmm. the um, first Barnaby two books of Genesis, mm-hmm. and then talking on um, sexuality and how to talk to kids about sex. Ron, thank you so much for being with me. And for any of you, you can come to my website, and I will have this up for you probably by end of this evening. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 